Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. A uh, special warm welcome to you. If you are visiting with us, it's great to have you here, and I do hope that you feel at home and feel welcomed. Uh, I am going to use a microphone this morning just because I've been battling a little bit this week. So you've got my sexy husky voice this morning. (laughs) Hey, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Genesis 27. It will be up on the screen for you in a moment also. If this is your uh, first week jumping into this series with us, uh, as Tanya said, we've been looking at the story of the patriarchs. And the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and we'll land with Joseph, uh, is a, a family line that the Lord put his finger on and started to weave his redemptive purposes for all humanity through that family line. And ultimately, that redemptive story leads us to Christ and in turn to our own story. So my hope in this series is that you might see some of your own story in the story of the patriarchs and see how God is weaving his redemptive story through your own life. And while this is uh, an incredibly ancient family, uh, we have lots in common with them. And really, God wants to partner with you, like he partnered with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to see his kingdom come here on earth. That is the crux of this, of this series. And we started in Genesis 11 with uh, the genealogy, and where we first met Abraham, or Avram, as he was known back then. And we see in that genealogy that Avram was a guy who was not interested in making a name for himself. He married Sarai, who was barren, in order to give her dignity and protection. And then God immediately entered the story in Genesis 12 and blessed and called Avram. We looked at that in the second week of the series. And that blessing is indeed the messianic blessing that's passed through that family line all the way to us. But in that blessing, in the mercy of God, also included the fact that his name would be great. So because he put his name aside, God, in his grace and mercy, said, I will make your name great. Um, But Avram, just like you and me, struggled with the promises of God and brought his questions to God. We looked at that in Genesis 15. And God responds to Avram's questions by entering into covenant with Avram. And we looked at that where he set up the blood path and walked between it. But instead of walking between it, Avram sat on the side and it was God himself who walked the blood path, fulfilling the covenant on both Avram's side and God's side. And that right there we saw was a picture of the gospel. When we can never fulfill covenant with God, he comes through for both of us. When we crash, it's God who pays the price. And we see that ultimately in Jesus. And so now we're skipping ahead into Genesis 27. Abraham and Sarah have had a child, the child of the promise, which is Isaac, who in turn has since married Rebekah, and they have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And we enter the story at the end of Isaac's life. And here we see this theme of blessing really peak. So I've titled this message, Searching for Blessing. We're going to read from verse 1. There's a chunk of text this morning, so it's up on the screen for you. 
When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare some tasty food to eat that I might give my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully to what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way that he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if, my, what if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say, go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she, did, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread that she had made. He went to his father and said, My father... Yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done just as you have told me. Please sit up, eat some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so that I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Verse 27. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. Verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Verse 38. Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept aloud. If this scene was made into a movie, and I mean a decent movie, this would be the heartbreaking scene that really frames up the character development for the rest of the story. This is like the defining moment, the pain point in each of the characters' lives. Esau is so broken by this event, his relationship with his brother Jacob so broken from this event that he vows to kill him. Jacob's life from this point would never be the same. He's forced to flee his family. He would never see his parents alive again. 
So what we see here, right alongside this incredible blessing given by God to Abraham and his descendants, is the human condition. While this family was marked by blessing, it was also marked by sin and brokenness. And what we see here is there are certain patterns of brokenness that are running through family lines. Some of you may actually know that to be true in your own life. How many of us have met someone who is just bitter and then you meet their parents and you're like, oh, I see where you get it from. That explains a lot. Or maybe it's anger or anxiety or perhaps struggles with substance abuse or maybe even the more socially acceptable but equally disruptive kind of brokenness, an obsession with excellence or a winning at all costs or a love of money. And in this family, the patriarchs, we see the sins of deception and favoritism repeatedly played out across the generations multiple times. And this is just one of those examples. If you know some of your Genesis story, Abraham twice lied about his wife for his own gain. The first time was in Egypt to the Pharaoh, and it ended pretty badly. And then he went and did it again when he meets another king, Abimelech. Isaac, who is featured in this story, Abraham's son, does exactly the same thing with Rebekah, with the same king, Abimelech. Jacob here uses deception. You see, the author is trying to teach us something in these stories. And I think what the author is trying to say is being anointed or chosen by God in his providence does not replace your need to pursue holiness. We should never elevate gifting or blessing over character. And as followers of Jesus, we must never ignore the hard work of attending to what's known as our shadow side. And we all have one. It's the side of ourselves that we don't like to show the world, that we hide, that we hide in. But it has a tendency to seep out of us and to bite us back badly later on if we do not attend to it. So Jacob is known for his deception. And I don't know if you noticed, but Jacob's deception on this occasion involves deceiving his father, Isaac, with a slaughtered goat and his brother's best clothing. If you play the rest of the Genesis story out, he never really attends to that shadow's trait in his life. And years later, his own sons deceive him in exactly the same way with a slaughtered goat and their brother's best clothing, Joseph. It's an exact same repeat of the same brokenness. And these texts are supposed to kind of ring as warning signs in our ears. We also have favoritism in this family. Abraham and Sarah favored Isaac over Ishmael. And in this passage, we see Isaac and Rebekah play favorites with their own children. So I don't know if you noticed that intentional language used by the author, particularly verse 5. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Well, it's both their sons. They both fathered and mothered Esau and Jacob. And when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob. So there's favoritism going on in this family line. They were both sons of Isaac and Rebekah, and yet there was sinful favoritism going on. And this same shadow trait is then repeated in Jacob's life. He favored Joseph and Benjamin over his other sons. But what I want you to notice is the trend of repeatable sin through the generations is not unique simply to the patriarchs. This is the human condition and the human story. And we see it all the time in our day. You might even see it in your own family line. As well as blessing being passed down, 
what we see right alongside it is the curse of sin passing through generations. And sometimes sin is so ingrained in our lives that it's almost down at our DNA level. So we're often predisposed to sins of our heritage. Some of you might know that feeling of almost being pulled towards a certain sin that you can't break out of. And part of that is spiritual, but part of that is literally at a DNA level. There's an author, Pete Scazzaro, who um, wrote the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and he has this great line in it. Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. (laughs) And what he actually advocates for is going back and doing what he calls a genogram, a personal genogram, tracing as much as you know about your parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents, and logging, as well as the amazing blessings that are being passed down, some of the brokenness that's being passed down, so that you can, in your generation, put a stop to it and realize that Jesus has broken the curse of sin and death, and that starting with you, you can choose to partner with Jesus in seeing that brokenness stopped in your generation rather than passing it down the family line. Spotting it can help arm you with the knowledge that you can then take that sin to Jesus and say, hey, this has been a trait in my life, in my family's life, and I want it to stop. Come by your Holy Spirit and break it in Jesus' name. So right alongside the brokenness, you also see the blessing. Dallas Willard, he defines blessing as this. Blessing is not just a word. It is the projection of good into the life of another. And that is God's position when it relates to us. He is not an angry figure who stands far off, pointing his finger accusingly at us. He's a loving father who desires what is good for his children. And as his children, we can choose to live in that place and to pass on blessing instead of brokenness. But the culture that we find ourselves in in the West, particularly I think in Australia, is not very generous with blessing. We are really good at tearing people down. Tall poppy syndrome. As soon as anyone does anything good, oh, well, did you see? Did you see the newspaper article about them? But we can, as followers of Jesus, live from a different spirit and be intentional in living counterculturally in this, I think. I think it is possible to learn to be generous with giving out blessing. And unlike Jacob or Esau, we don't need to scrap and scrape for blessing. It has already been poured out on us lavishly because of Jesus. The blessings of Abraham, which are passing down this patriarchal line, is in fact the very same blessing that he was giving to Jacob, Isaac was giving to Jacob, is now poured out on us lavishly through the blood of Jesus. And that means we can freely choose to dispense blessing to those around us. We can choose to project good, as Dallas Willard says, into the life of another. And what I'm learning about myself really personally is I have a lot of room to grow in this space. I can be quite critical and choose to give words of criticism rather than words of blessing. So how do we do that? How do we do that better? Well, researchers have shown that there are three key elements. Well, there are more, but there are three that I've highlighted tonight, today um, that come when blessing somebody. The first is meaningful touch. And almost always, and you see this throughout scripture, there is a laying on of hands when there is an impartation of blessing. You'll notice that Isaac did that when he he blessed Jacob. We do that all the time here in the vineyard. It's one of the reasons that we lay hands on people when we're praying for them. It's an impartation of blessing. 
Jesus did this. You might remember that in Mark 10, when the little children came to Jesus, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. There is something powerfully communicated in meaningful touch. And research has shown that for decades, humanity needs meaningful touch to survive. They've done experiments years ago on children who were, um, some who were being handled and meaningful touch and some who weren't. And the ones who weren't did not thrive and many died. We actually need meaningful touch to survive and to step into blessing. The second is spoken words. Um, in particular, words of really high value. And I realized I skipped over this bit in the story with Isaac, but um, if you go back and reread that in Genesis 27, there are words of high value that Isaac puts on Jacob. He says, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Now, maybe don't go up and use that one on your spouse. You smell like a farm. <laughs> but what you can almost hear is, is like he inhales, is like, ah, oh, my favorite smell. It's words of high value. And part of dispensing blessing are using words of high value. I can remember the first time I ever preached a message. I think I was 18. Um, and uh, I it's, it's shocking to listen to the recording now. But, but a mentor afterwards pulled me aside. And he just said quietly in my ear, well done. You actually have a gift in this. Keep going, keep growing, keep going for I believe in you. And that particular word of high value has shaped my life. And I literally now do this for a job. How many times have you heard a story, someone growing up, and they become a teacher or they become an artist or they become a mechanic because someone in a position of authority saw them and spotted something in them say, hey, you're really good at painting. You should keep doing that. And they go, something comes alive in their spirit. You're really good at helping people out. You should become a teacher or something. And then so many people end up stepping into that. One of the values we place here in church is a church that's family. And I think part of that includes seeing stuff in people's life and calling it out and speaking it into existence. Words of high value. Number three, an active commitment to fulfill the blessing. It has to be more than words. We actually have to take some action in the blessing. So blessing involved not only recognizing something in somebody, but assisting them in that. So choosing to invest in them, give them your time, buy them lunch, take them out for coffee, buy your kid a microscope if they like looking at things, buy your kid a set of paintbrushes if they love painting or drawing, cheer them on practically as well as verbally. And that goes for people in our church, as well as your own flesh and blood. Now, most of us are great at one of these, but few of us are good at all three. So a little question for you this morning is, which one of these do you need to be more intentional in, in your everyday? With your kids or your spouse or your family or your friends? Which one of these three? Now, what I find fascinating in this story, amidst the brokenness that's being passed down and the deception in this story is God still somehow weaves his redemptive purposes through the broken lives of these people. God even uses their sin eventually in his sovereignty to dispense blessing on all humanity. And if we look closely, we can see some of the hints of this blessing of Abraham that is now poured out on us through Jesus through the symbolism in this account of Isaac and Jacob. 
we can really see what Jesus has done in order to pour out blessing on us. I don't know if you noticed in the text, but Jacob was fearful about coming into Isaac's presence. And he's fearful because he knows deep down he shouldn't be there. Deep down he's fearful that if his father knew who he really was underneath Esau's clothes, what he was clothing himself in to pretend to be somebody else, if his father really knew who he was underneath, he might withhold blessing. His thought was that he alone as Jacob was not enough. And I've personally felt that imposter syndrome many times in my life, that fear that if people really knew what was going on in my interior life or in my shadow side, they'd reject me. That if people really saw me for who I am, I'd be done. But that fear does not lead us towards freedom. I also know that until we get a glimpse of the grace and the love of God who longs to bless us, we all feel that way a little bit in the presence of holy God. Why would God ever bless my life? Why would God ever answer my prayer or provide for me or ever use me in his kingdom assignment? Is anyone familiar with that kind of language in your mind? But the truth of the gospel is that God does know every part of you, even the depths of your shadow side that you try to hide from everybody else and might not even know about. He sees what's underneath the clothes that you try and dress yourself up in. He knows you better than you know yourself. And yet when you come into his presence, he does not reject you. He doesn't turn away. He sees you for exactly who you are and he greets you with a kiss and an embrace and a blessing. Why? You see, Jesus isn't just in this story the dispenser of blessing. Jesus here in this story is like Jacob's older brother Esau. The only way Jacob could ever enter the presence of his father was because he was wearing Esau's clothing. And when you walk into your father in heaven's presence, if you put your trust in your older brother Jesus, your older brother Jesus clothes you with his clothes of righteousness and you can walk boldly into the presence of the father and he does not turn his face away. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had, not, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When the Father looks at you, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of his son Jesus. Jesus is our access so that we can now approach God with boldness instead of fear and trembling. We also see blessing in this statement of Rebecca. This is where I finish. Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. And his mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. And this right here is the biblical narrative. Rebecca could never truly bear the curse of Jacob's sin any more than you could bear the curse of mine. But as the curse of sin gets passed down from generation to generation, there would finally be one who would enter the world who could fulfill this statement. And his name is Jesus. Our curse fell on him and the curse of sin and death was broken forever. 
It's no coincidence that the symbol of the Christian faith is a symbol of the curse. It's a cross. It's a symbol of shame and of rejection and of ultimate separation. Because it's in that event at Calvary that we can now know blessing and ultimate forgiveness. Paul writes this wonderful summary in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That's the cross. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us. That is the biblical story. He has redeemed us. He has bought us. He has ransomed us. He has paid the full price in our place so that we no longer bear the curse of sin and brokenness. Instead, we bear blessing. And that word redeemed in this verse, it literally means to seize a buying opportunity for future gain. So that means Jesus looked at your life, including all your dysfunction and your brokenness, and then he looked at his own life in all its holiness, glory and majesty and perfection, and he said, that seems like a good trade to me. It's an outrageous trade, but that's how much you mean to God. We bring our brokenness and our dysfunction and Jesus pours out his blessing. We no longer have to scrap and scrape like Jacob or Esau for blessing ever again. We don't earn his blessing, we already have his blessing and we can live and operate from that place. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us. That is the good news of the gospel. Amen. Next week we will be, oh, sorry, no, next week is Sabbath Sunday, so that we are not having a gathering. The following week we'll be continuing the story, looking at a little bit more in Jacob's life as he flees from this event to Laban. All right, how about we stand? We're going to spend some time waiting on the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delhart. So we see-